Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, I'll talk with the president of a nonprofit that supplies parents in need with diapers in a large area of central and southeastern Ohio. Then I'll talk with the executive director of a youth empowerment group in Columbus. In the second half hour, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS-10-TV, Tracy Townsend takes a look at the Republican and Democratic nominees for Congress in the two districts in Ohio that held special primary elections this month. One was for the seat of Central Ohio Republican Steve Stivers, who now heads the Ohio Chamber of Commerce, and the other was in the Cleveland area to replace Democrat Marsha Fudge, who now is the HUD secretary. And in about 45 minutes, I'll talk with Dwayne Casares, CEO of Directions for Youth and Families, about the angst that vaccines and masks are creating with some. First up on Columbus Perspective, on the phone with me. From Lancaster is Joe Welsh, who is the co-founder and president of an organization called Bottoms Up Diaper Drive. How are you? I'm great. Good morning. Thanks for talking to us. Uh, Tell us what Bottoms Up Diaper Drive is. Yes, Bottoms Up Diaper Drive is a nonprofit, uh, 501c3. We uh, collect donated diapers and give them away to uh, our partners, and our partners are food pantries, child care centers, domestic violence, rehab facilities, some pregnancy centers, and those folks distribute to their uh, clients, their neighbors. How long ago did you start, and what was the uh, the push behind it? Sure, we start. We got started in 2018, and um, my husband and I have been married. Well, we're married 40 years at the time. We're still married. Uh, we're married 40 years at the time, and he wanted to, as a celebration, ask um, our friends and family to donate diapers that we could give away to to families in need and. Kind of as a footnote, my husband's been um, has worked with um, women's ministries, and and he knew the need, knew that the uh, need was pretty great, and um, so we thought, well, let's try to collect forty boxes of diapers for every year we were married, and we ended up with over eighty, and um, just decided, hey, let's let's just keep doing this. So uh, we were incorporated and got our five hundred one c three status, and um, we were probably doing about 3,000 diapers a month at the time when we started, and now uh, they were up to about, well, we're up to over 60,000 diapers a month that that we're distributing. That's amazing. And are you talking about disposable diapers, cloth? What what is it? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good that's a good question. Yes, it is disposable, and and we do get that question a lot because um, you know in a world where we're talking about being environmentally um, sound, we are um, dealing with um, folks that don't have not necessarily have a stable living environment. So um, getting to a laundromat or, you know, maybe even having a washer and dryer in their home or their apartment is, is not really uh, likely. Sure. So getting to a laundromat, if you don't have transportation, there's just a lot of barriers to being able to use cloth diapers. And in a perfect world, you know, that would be the way to go. Um, but the the families that we're serving at this point in their lives, 
they're struggling with a lot of different things, um, as well as, you know, having enough diapers to, to keep their babies clean, dry, and healthy. So, so it's all disposable for them at this point in their lives. Sure. I mean, if they had a, a bunch of cloth diapers dumped on them, that would uh, make the problem worse than it was before. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, exactly. You know, taking dirty diapers to a laundromat on a bus, you know, <laughs> if you've got other children or, you know, it, it's not just, it, they're not living in a perfect world. Right. And um, and you're right, giving them cloth diapers might complicate their lives, not really. They might not feel so grateful about that. <laughs> Well, the, you've got some statistics on your website. First, your uh, outreach has been growing, and, is, and you're in Lancaster, but you spend a whole lot of time in the Columbus area and well beyond that as well. Yes, yes, um, and we do have to update our website. Um, we are currently in 13 counties, and we stretch. I, we just brought on Knox County, the Early Head Start program over there, and uh, we go all the way down to uh, Scioto County to Portsmouth. We also picked up Athens County not too long ago. And uh, But you're right, Franklin is our biggest um, coverage area. But we do, you know, getting out to the rural areas, Hawking, Perry, Pike, Scioto, Ross, those folks are in, in, in great need of diapers. And um, we're just trying to help out the agencies in those areas that help folks that are just trying to get by. And the expense of diapers for whether it's a single mother or a young couple who are having trouble making ends meet is uh, just overwhelming. The statistics are unbelievable about it. Yes. They say about 70 to $80 a month, and that's if you're changing your baby six to ten times a day depending on the age you know a newborn is going to have a diaper change more often than let's say a two or three-year-old and a three-year-old should be on its way to being potty trained but not always again folks aren't living in perfect situations but 70 80 dollars a month and that's cash money that's not diapers can't be purchased with i know food stamps isn't the word anymore but you can't use your card for that you use for food for diapers. Anything that's taxable has to be paid for with cash. Right. So that also adds a little more burden to folks because diapers aren't covered by any government program, and it has to come out of that cash money that, that folks have. And it seems like there's so many uh, needs that this addresses. One would obviously be it's a health issue for a baby for them to have fresh diapers. And also some of these homes are just like across any demographic, maybe volatile situations where if the money situation and something as, uh, you know, as unplanned as not having enough diapers ratchets up a volatile situation where somebody in the family may be prone to violence, then that could be a catalyst for even worse problems. Yes. Um, yeah, it's not just the physical, like you said. Um, you know, diaper rash and, and different different things can can come out of just, you know, a baby sitting in a dirty diaper for a day. Um, obviously physical, but, you know, that leads to emotional things as well, like you mentioned. Um, and anyone that is listening that has had a crying baby in your house, you know, that is a look pretty unnerving. 
And so you have, you know, if, if a crying baby is, is happening for hours, then, yes, situations can, can, can kind of get out of hand for sure. Right. So um, having a clean, dry diaper on a baby is, is, pretty, is pretty basic need, and, and, and we sure um, love helping families that, that need that. Talking with Joe Welch, she's the co-founder and president of Bottoms Up Diaper Drive in Lancaster, which covers a number of counties, including Franklin. How does it work then? When you come into possession of thousands and thousands of diapers, where are you getting them? Where does the money come from? And how are they distributed? Sure. We um, get donations from um, churches, schools, businesses, individuals, and if, um, you know, a church or a school or business wants to do a diaper drive, um, we get diapers through them. And, um, you know, they'll collect diapers for a certain amount of time and then give them to us. And um, then we store those. We have a warehouse. We have a couple in Columbus and one in Lancaster. And then we have smaller kind of warehouses in those other counties that I mentioned. And the diapers are distributed there. And then our partners contact us and we deliver the diapers that they need each week or two weeks or each month. But we also take, uh, you know, donations. Uh, we are not a government agency. We, we're not government funded. And so most of our, um, the majority of, of the money that we have and that we get is, comes from individuals, kind, generous folks. And then we purchase diapers and we were a member of the uh, National um, Diaper Bank Network, so we're able to get diapers at a little, uh, little reduced cost. It's it's still a lot, um, but we use that money to purchase the sizes that we don't get through those diaper drives or just individual donations. I, I can't tell you how many times I come home and I there's just some random diapers on my porch because people know. <laughs> That I what I do, what we do, and um, they see a deal on diapers, and they buy them, and they drop them off on my my porch. So um, it's amazing the generosity of folks to help families in need. Because I think you know when you hear like a mom scraping out a diaper and putting it back on a child because she doesn't have anything else, or using something maybe that wasn't intended as a diaper, maybe newspapers or an old dirty or a t-shirt, not a dirty t-shirt, but, you know, something that wasn't necessarily intended as a diaper, then, you know, most people understand that, you know. From the second grader to the the 90-year-old, everybody understands kind of what it means for a baby to um, be sitting in a dirty diaper for a day. Right. It's a tremendous service. Uh, and in addition to these situations where folks can help out, you do have a, a couple of more formal fundraisers uh, during the year, right? Yes. Um, this year in 2021, we did what we call the world's largest diaper drive, and uh, that was May 1st. We intended to, our goal was to collect 250,000 diapers, and we collected almost 360,000. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, that's like a semi-truck and a half of diapers. Wow. Um, and and this year, and so we'll do we'll do that again next year, May seventh, twenty twenty two, will be our world's largest diaper drive, and and we have folks that do, you know, sponsorships, do diaper drives, 
and it, it's just amazing, and, and we can talk about that at, maybe at another time. And, and we're also doing a fundraiser this September in Columbus just to thank our donors and just inform, I guess, people of kind of the need. And, um, and, and that'll be a fundraiser for Bottoms Up as well. Okay, and so folks can uh, kind of keep an eye on your website maybe for additional info on that? Yes, absolutely. There'll be ways to sponsor, to, um, to attend the event, um, or just to donate. And yes, the, the, all that will be coming up on our bottomsup.life website. Okay. Talking with Joe Welsh from Bottoms Up Diaper Drive, do you have, I mean, how do you distribute all these? Do you have volunteers or other folks that work with you or what? Yes, uh, we have volunteers, uh, that volunteer drivers. Um, I'm in need of a couple, so if anyone's listening would love to, um, to help out. We uh, distribute diapers in Franklin County Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday. And um, so we have drivers, we have a delivery van. Uh, people pick up the diapers that they need to deliver, and then they drop them at the site. It takes a couple hours, um, but we have folks that, that do that. Uh, that are generous with their time and, and volunteer to do that. So um, that's how they get distributed. I also distribute them as well, and uh, my husband, you know, and all hands on deck all the time. If somebody something needs done, we, we get it done here. When you first started this effort, I'm sure that early on you must have, uh, I know that you told me before we rolled tape that there are, other uh, diaper banks around Ohio and around the country. And so you must have kind of become aware as time went on that there are these mammoth efforts that go on. Did, did you suspect that maybe yours would turn into something like this? No, you know, we just we just started doing it. And, you know, after our anniversary and, and, and really, I, you know, this was this was Tim's brainchild. And and then he asked me, would you run this? Because he had another job. So it has just exploded. It's really, there's no explanation for it. It just keeps growing. And I get calls about every week from different um, agencies that, that want to hear about how they can, you know, get diapers as well. So I had no idea that would be what it is and uh, we kind of had to make a decision is this is this a hobby or is this something that we want to live on after we're gone so we kind of made that decision that this is this is something here to stay and we're gonna um, hopefully um, build it so it can live on but um, it's it's exciting when you hear the stories of, you know, a mom trying to, coming out of rehab and working to get her kids back. And one of the things she needs is to have diapers. And, and I can help in a little tiny way um, with her recovery and, and maybe getting her family back together. You know, that that gives me goosebumps. And, and I'm, I'm excited to help, you know, the mom in the rural areas that, has no transportation to get diapers, and and I can give them to an agency that get them to her. So when you hear those stories about, you know, the, the ways you can help people in the smallest, littlest way, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's exciting, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, to be part of that. That's tremendous. It, it's such, it seems like such a simple issue that people would normally not even it would never even come across your mind and yet it doesn't take a lot of imagination to have to realize what a big deal it is yeah 
absolutely. You are exactly right. You know, and, and like I said before, everybody understands it. And But, you know, we do, nobody thinks about it. We think about food, helping with food, maybe utilities. Um, but just the basic need of a diaper is is so crucial to the development of, of kids and just harmony in the family. Like you mentioned before, it's, it's quite amazing the impact that, that it has. And just being able to help folks is wonderful. Joe Wells, co-founder and president of Bottoms Up Diaper Drive in Lancaster, covering the, the entire Columbus area and well beyond that. Joe, if folks want to help, whether it's uh, monetarily or through volunteering or otherwise, how do they do that? They can reach out to me personally um, through our website at bottomsup.life, and that's L-I-F-E. And um, I will tell you, Dave, that our all of our delivery vans have my phone number on them, so I can give you that because I get calls from people when I'm driving around to the interstate um, in the delivery vans, and, and my number is 740-808-6131. 8086131 they can call and um, chat with me and how they want to want to be involved but they can also reach out through to me through our website at bottomsup.life and that's l i f e Okay. Uh, What a great service. Uh, Joe Welsh again, co-founder and president of Bottoms Up Diaper Drive in Lancaster. Thanks so much for your time today and the information. Awesome. Thank you. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and Thanks for listening. Crispy, faded, lit, baked, toasty, stoned, blazed, zooted. When you're high, there are a lot of ways to say it. But there's only one thing you need to remember. Driving under the influence of marijuana is illegal everywhere. If you feel different, you drive different. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and joining me on the phone is Terry Green. He is the founder and executive director of an organization in town called Think, Make, Live Youth. How are you? I am doing fine. How are you doing today, Dave? Good. Thanks for talking to us, Terry. We talked to you uh, back, I think, uh, boy, it was sometime last year, I think, and learned a little bit more about your organization. You're a busy person. Yeah, trying to make it happen, you know, our organization, Think, Make, Live Youth, our mission is we are providing opportunities for youth by inspiring action, and we are working daily to work with young people to really inspire for our vision, and our vision is greatness realized, uh, leaders developed, and stories changed between young people between the ages of 14 uh, to 21 years old right here in Central Ohio. 
And this is such uh, an important group, I think, and endeavor because, you know, the pandemic has really disrupted everyday life. Uh, We've also seen, you know, a lot of uh, racial tension in the country. We've seen violence, an uptick in violence, and uh, especially involving youth either as victims or as those involved. And it's really important to get our youth engaged in positive endeavors. Yeah, and it's it's so good to be able to provide an opportunity for young people in terms of leadership, in terms of workforce development, and just holistic wellness, right? Being being a safe space where young people can kind of share out, you know, what they're going through. Just being able to connect them to those resources. Uh, we just successfully completed a, a workforce development summer program with about over 20 young people between the ages of uh, 16 and 21, and they got the chance over this summer to learn about workforce, learn about leadership, uh, learn about, you know, the development of themselves and connecting to different career exploration opportunities. And so, yeah, being that organization that can be empowering for young people is our mission with our organization. That's tremendous. Uh, what kind of uh, disruptions has the pandemic caused in terms of, you know, you being able to, to meet with uh, kids and youth in the area and, and to organize events and that type of thing? Well, I mean, the pandemic has, you know, had various challenges. I mean, some of the things we had to do, you know, virtual um, and engage in one of our programs with our community action team council has been meeting virtual and through Zoom. And then even with our cohort program, we have to really scale down the cohort program to actually have less young people inside the classroom setting at a social distance, um, making sure that we have the proper PPE supplies, um, and just making sure that we are equipped with the right tools um, and resources so that the young people can be safe, even though while they are in program with us, whether either virtual or in person. The young people who are involved in your program, where do they come from? How do they find out about what you're doing and how do you connect with them? Well, our young people uh, are generally recruited from our, our program team. And uh, that is through uh, many different partnerships and connections throughout the community, through the different centers, um, different initiatives, and even local schools. Um, so local schools, our children's schools have been a great referral uh, for some of the young people that participated um, in our program and activities. Talking with Terry Green, he's the founder and executive director of Think, Make, Live Youth. Where did the name come from, Terry? Think, Make, Live Youth, it actually started from a PowerPoint presentation that I presented uh, back in 2015, sharing my story of how I thought of a change, made action of a change, and now living a change. Think change, make change, live change right now today for a better tomorrow. And developing that concept into uh, a program, into workshops, and into the organization now where our vision is to have greatness realized, leaders develop, and stories changed. And could you tell us a little bit about why you have a passion for this? 
Well, for me, I have a, honestly have the passion because I was one of those young people. Um, after experiencing uh, youth homelessness, dealing with some challenging circumstances at a young age, and overcoming those challenging circumstances, now I stand on the forefront as an advocate, as a supporter, as a leader to support those young people who experience similar challenges, maybe the foster care system, maybe the justice system, maybe homeless. Being able to meet young people where they're at. I was one of those young people where society tried to write me off. But now, look at me now as an executive director, CEO of this organization that supports young people that share similar stories like myself. And so being empowering is my, my, my purpose, my passion uh, for this work. That's outstanding. And you have coming up the third year of the Social Justice Awards celebration event. What's this about? Yes, our 2021 Social Justice Awards is happening uh, on Friday, September the 24th at the Boathouse at Confluence Park. It's going to be an event where we can bring together those unsung heroes and sheroes, those grassroots organizers and leaders and leading organizations to showcase the success and achievement of social justice leadership right here in Central Ohio. Who are you looking for to be involved and how do they do that? So we actually have a, a criteria where people can actually go online and submit a nomination. And our nomination process is pretty easy. Um, and our honorary categories is community service, education advocacy, law enforcement, legal advocacy, public service, health care, restorative justice, and youth justice. And we will be not honoring those outstanding social justice leaders and organizations. So there will be awards given to individuals and entities um, that are doing the powerful social justice work right here in Central Ohio that don't normally get the chance to get honored. And so that is our, our mission. And our vision is social justice leaders will know that their work is valued and will be honored by their peers uh, from these contributions. Okay, and uh, so folks can go online. It's uh, socialjusticeawards.org. Yes, socialjusticeawards.org to submit a nomination, to purchase a ticket, to come and enjoy the luncheon at the Boathouse in Confluence Park on Friday, September 24th, 2021. Terry, does this event uh, serve also as a fundraiser, or if not, uh, how do you raise funds for your organization? Yes, so this is a fundraiser for Think Make Live Youth Nonprofit. And the beautiful thing is our young people will be there at the event, uh, hosting, greeting, and presenting the awards. So our Columbus Community Action Team young leaders will be there at the event, at the boathouse, to be able to greet our uh, people that will be coming to the event. And it is our fundraiser to support our programs, to support our events ongoing for young people between the ages of 14 to 21 right here in Central Ohio. When you talk about uh, career development and that type of thing with these kids, it's just so important and can you know elevate them into a whole new world that maybe they didn't even think they had had the opportunity to get into, like when you were a kid. Can you talk a little bit about the changes that you see in some of these youth? 
I mean, the changes that I see in some of these youth is phenomenal. Um, three of our students have, have gone on to college um, after completing our program this summer. Um, being able to see some young people start their own businesses, being entrepreneurs with their own small business, seeing young people just making a, a personal change for themselves mentally, physically, and emotionally um, has truly been um, inspiring and motivating even not only for myself, but also for this work that we do to support those young people, to say that it's a value that these young people are being empowered, that they're being equipped with the right tools, resources to be able to support them right now where they are at, but also for their future. It's uh, so great, too, because these kids, as they become more engaged in the community and perhaps, who knows, down the line, political uh, endeavors or whatever, it gives the possibility for the city to have an important connection to these youth who have come through areas where they will, they know how to, to make them better through, you know, through policies. Right, and we are very intentional when it comes to exposing our young people to civic engagement and being able to engage them with social justice. Our young people were able to meet our Columbus City Council President, Shannon Hardy. Our young people was able to connect and meet our new uh, Franklin County Commissioner, Mrs. Erica Crawley. And so being able to be intentional about allowing young people to have that exposure to who the elected or our elected officials are and being able to have the opportunity for them to ask questions and to be engaged in real-life social justice and civic engagement right here in Central Ohio. You can't beat it. And we're talking about uh, overall ages 14 to 21. Is that right? Yes. Ages 14 to 21 right here in Columbus. Young people, um, we've been working with these young people for years and just being able to empower them, equip them, um, and engage them with the resources that they need so they can be able to thrive um, for their futures. Do you ever have need for volunteers? Yes, so we'll have need for volunteers for our programs and events. If you go on our website at thinkmakelivejuice.org, you can learn out about uh, volunteer opportunities and connect with me about the upcoming events and activities that we have going on if you're interested in being a volunteer. Talking with Terry Green, he's the founder and executive director of Think, Make, Live Youth. Anybody, any youth that are listening who uh, would be interested in, in joining the organization, can they do that as well through the website or what? Yes, so we're in the process of uh, preparing for our fall program and our community action team sign up. And young people can find out more of that on our website at thinkmakelivejuice.org. Okay, and again, the uh, Social Justice Awards, the luncheon, is coming up at the Boathouse on Friday, September 24th at 11 a.m. You can give us uh, the website information again, Terry. Anything else, too, that you want to add? Yeah, so the Social Justice Awards 2021 is happening. The third annual Social Justice Awards at the Boathouse at Confluence Park. It will be a, a luncheon, and we have nominations open right now. You can go online at socialjusticeawards.org and submit a nomination um, in the categories of community service, education advocacy, law enforcement, legal advocacy, public service, health care, restorative justice, and youth justice. Submit a nomination for the 2021 Central Ohio Social Justice Awards today at socialjusticeawards.org. 
All right. Sounds good, Terry. Again, uh, with Think, Make, Live Youth, the founder and executive director. It's great work, and it's uh, badly needed in a community like Columbus. Uh, I hope it continues to go well for you. Thank you, Dave. I truly appreciate you for this opportunity. And it takes for organizations like us to realize that our vision is greatness realized. Leaders develop and stories change. The 2021 Central Ohio Social Justice Awards Luncheon is Friday, September 24th from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. in Columbus at the Boathouse at Confluence Park on West Spring Street. Support Think, Make, Live youth nonprofit organization as we recognize 16 outstanding Social Justice Award winners in categories of community service, education advocacy, restorative justice, law enforcement, public service, health care, legal advocacy, and youth justice. For tickets, donations, or to make a nomination, visit Social Justice Awards Org. This is Jim at a party. Dude, pass it. Hi there. This is Jim making nachos. Hi there. This is Jim watching his favorite horror movie. Oh yeah, definitely hi there. And this is Jim driving his car. Dude, not hi there. Jim's making good decisions and not getting behind the wheel when he's high because he knows that if you feel different, you drive different. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. stage is set for Ohio's 15th congressional district. Democrat State Representative Allison Russo is taking on Republican coal lobbyist Mike Carey. Ohioans in this part of the state will be voting in this race come November. Thank you so much for joining us this morning for Face the State. I'm Tracy Townsend. Mike Carey picked up 37 percent of the vote among Republicans. And that is notable because there were 11 Republicans in the race. Kerry was endorsed by former President Donald Trump. As for the Democrats, State Rep. Allison Russo picked up 84 percent of the vote. There were only two candidates among the Democrats. Russo knows this Republican stronghold is going to be a challenge, but she's optimistic by staying on message that she can win. Well, I think it's important to note in this district, uh, while it is certainly a challenging district, Democrats have one in this district, shared Brown Moran, and one in this district in 2018 when he ran for Senate. Uh, Justice Bruner, who's now on the Ohio Supreme Court when she ran in 2020, she also uh, ran and won in this district. Uh, so again, I've run in tough districts, my state house district. Uh, was a tough district that I flipped in 2018, have held on to very easily, uh, and it's a, a big part of this congressional district. 
So for me, this is about getting out, doing the work, talking to voters, talking about the issues that they care about. And that is what I am exclusively focused on. Uh, there certainly will be a lot of outside voices in this race, but I believe very firmly that this is about the people of this district, about working families and their needs. And those are the things I will be talking about. As for candidate Mike Carey, he says there are already too many politicians in Washington, D.C. I'm not going to be like your typical politician that is just going to wait to get things done. In the business world, as anybody who's listening knows, we can't wait. We have to act now. We've got a plan. We've got a direction. We've got to move forward. And uh, listen, I'm excited about the opportunity. uh, And I'm I'm excited to earn the support of the people of the 15th Congressional District. Uh, You say you want to hit the ground running. Uh, If elected, where do you start? Mm. Well, you know, first off, I think the most important thing we have to remember is I'm going to go into a, uh, a, 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 just one year term. And literally we have to run again um, in May and the district is going to be completely different. So we have no idea what that district's going to look like with this redistricting. But I think the first thing we're going to have to do, and I will do is push back on this idea of this radical spending that we have. I mean, I've talked to small businesses across this district that can't get people back to work because people are still living on this free money. Mark your calendars. The general election is November 2nd. What happens now? How will those candidates try to get through to the voters? We asked Ohio State political professor and author Herb Asher to weigh in. I think each candidate will try to define themselves and try to define the other. But uh, again, uh, from her perspective, uh, she will try to define Mike Harry as the quintessential lobbyist. You know, the kinds of people that you associate with things that are not all that attractive about politics. And, of course, we just are going through our own scandal right now as it relates to First Energy and the lobbyists and all of that. So she'll try to link that and he'll try to maybe link her as, oh, she's one of those uh, crazy liberal Democrats, you know, from Upper Arlington of all places. It is a Republican district. But it's not one of these districts that is so overwhelmingly Republican that the Democrats could not, you know, should certainly be able to run competitively. And part of it will be a function of how good a candidate is uh, is Mike Carrion. Now, Ohio's 15th congressional district, it's not the only seat up for grabs in our state. Northeast Ohio chose a Republican and a Democrat to compete. As well, Austin Love with our sister station in Cleveland spoke with both winners in District 11. It was a contentious and fierce race. Now, over. Chantel Brown defeating Nina Turner by a slim margin to win the Democratic primary for the 11th District congressional seat. I'm overcome with a lot of emotions right now, but I do want the record to reflect again. I've never gotten in the race with the expectation to do anything other than win. And I say that humbly and respectfully. So um, I'm just glad everything worked out according to plan. It was a battle between two different candidates divided by key political ideologies and also backing. Brown campaigned loyal to President Biden's agenda and Turner's in support of the progressive left. On council, Brown voted to give more than 32... Differences that clashed in nasty television ads. I don't know if that was a dog fight that took place last time or if it was a cat fight. Now Chantel Brown will be taking on Republican candidate Laverne Gore, who won her primary. Looking at the heated race between Brown and Turner, Gore is now gearing up for an ugly fight ahead. It was ridiculous. It, it, it was beneath the, the, the entire structure of what leadership in America should mean. So 
Yeah, I know because I saw it happen. And I would have probably told you, no, that's not going to happen. We're going to be dignified and we're going to respect the office. We're going to respect the people. No, I think I'm up for a cat fight, not a dog fight. Contentiousness that Brown isn't looking to bring into the race. I certainly hope not. As a uh, as a fellow John Adams rebel, she and I, <laughs> although much different classes, um, both came out of the same high school. So I hope we can keep it a, a, a friendly rebel rivalry. Both leaning on Cleveland roots to win. I am the 11th district. I grew up here. Both hoping to lead Ohio's 11th congressional district. And again, that was Austin Love from our sister station in Cleveland. Keep in mind, a lot of this will change next year because it's back to the drawing board. District lines are being redrawn to align with the U.S. Census. Because of the data from the census, Ohio is actually losing one seat. We're going from 16 to 15. How did the lines get this way? Well, analysts call it quite simply gerrymandering. The way you gerrymander, whether, you know, both parties would do this if they had the power to. The way you gerrymander is you either pack or you crack. And pack means you're going to concentrate as many of your opponent's voters into a district as possible. So instead of winning it by 53, 55, 56 percent, they win it by 80 percent. You don't need 80% to win a district. And so you're winning that district and wasting so many votes in doing that. Cracking is when you take an area and you break it up into smaller pieces. There's another district up north that is the snake along the lake. It literally is a district that goes from Cleveland to Toledo. It's this narrow little district that follows Lake Erie. And that was done by the Republicans to throw two Democrats into the same district, I expect next time around, we could very well see two districts from central Ohio that will look much more Democratic. And again, that was Herb Asher from The Ohio State University. The CDC is expanding the eviction moratorium once again, but it won't apply in Franklin County after a ruling from a judge. The CDC wanted the expansion in areas where COVID-19 spread is at a high rate. The agency argues it's a matter of public safety. People who don't have a place to stay could end up in a congregate housing setting where the virus will spread. We talk with the Coalition on Homelessness and Housing in Ohio. A spokesperson says the moratorium was poorly designed and poorly implemented in our state. In fact, he says many courts in the state ignored it, and not every renter knew it was an option. It wasn't like a blanket ban on evictions. We saw eviction filings continue um, you know, during the whole, the whole time that this moratorium was in, fe- in effect. Um, really, almost you know, about two-thirds of normal levels, we saw cases being filed. Uh, Many of those cases were on hold because of tenants who had been um, who had applied for this moratorium. But we don't know how many of those there are. The good news is that emergency rental assistance is available um, for folks who have had who are having trouble paying their rent. Um, Ohio has one point five billion dollars from the federal government to help them uh, pay off arrears and um, get square with their landlords. Um, Emergency rental assistance can cover up to 12 months of arrears, um, and it can also cover three months going forward. And he says the moratorium does give local agencies more time. As of this week, more than 200,000 Ohioans were behind on their rent. More than 140,000 households were concerned about being evicted in the next two months. 
we've never been in a situation before where, where we've had these kinds of resources to help people that have been, you know, unable to pay their rent. You know, um, there's so many people that are stuck in low wage jobs that just don't pay them enough to be able to afford, a, uh, you know, an apartment. We're going to post some of those resources at 10tv.com slash face the state. So be sure to look out for those. Thank you all for being here with us today. We do appreciate it. We'll see you back here next Sunday for Face the State. That's again Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Neil Armstrong waited six hours and 39 minutes to step onto the surface of the moon. Jackie Robinson waited 20 months to play his first game with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And even DiCaprio had to wait 22 years to win an Oscar. You can wait until your destination. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. We are advocates. We are defenders. We are champions. And friends. We are the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. 230 accredited members employing thousands. All dedicated to the care and conservation of Earth's precious wildlife. Sea turtles. African penguins. California condors, cheetahs, and countless endangered species that are close to extinction. See for yourself at aza.org slash join us. Or at an AZA accredited zoo and aquarium today. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and joining me on the phone is Dwayne Casares. He's the CEO of Directions for Youth and Families. Hey, Dwayne, how you doing? I'm doing good, Dave. How are you? Uh, we're hanging in there. The, the pandemic uh, comes and goes, and it's back again. And uh, But it's, uh, it's a pretty frustrating time all the way around. Yeah, you know, when this, this happens, you know, we, we have another wave here. So um, uh, we, even at our agency, have gone back to some of putting back in place some of the guidelines we had that we actually relaxed like two or three months ago. Um, uh, we just had to just out of safety. You know, we, we, we have kids coming into our buildings and many of them aren't old enough to be vaccinated. So uh, we have a huge obligation to keep them safe. Um, I always get even just concerned from the standpoint that um, our workers, which, which uh, you know, we have some who uh, are have kids at home that aren't old enough to be vaccinated. Some are taking care of um, elderly parents. So uh, in a nutshell, tell us uh, what your agency is and what the majority of the folks who work for you do.
So we did that with a lot, a lot, a lot of safety protocols. Um, primarily, you must meet outside. Um, we, uh, so we, we moved from probably 10% in February of face-to-face. -face. We're now up to about 60%. Um, we're going to probably cut that back a little bit now that uh, the Delta uh, variant is causing havoc. Um, but, you know, it's an ebb and flow. And, and so we also have two after-school centers that we opened up as learning exchange centers for a reduced number uh, of kids than what we normally would serve. Um, and we just had our summer program, which was in person, and, and fortunately we were able to run that very successfully with a lot of uh, safety precautions in, in place. Uh, and now we're getting ready for the school year, and, you know, the schools keep going back and forth on what they're going to do when, you know, are they going to mask, are they not, or... Um, you know, and each day something else can change. So uh, we're just trying to stay on top of it and continue to serve people the best we can. So a priority of that uh, was getting our folks vaccinated. And um, although uh, we did not have a mandate, and um, I, we're not going to mandate, I, I, I'm, I'm not real comfortable with that. But we've been very fortunate. So out of 110 employees, we only have six who aren't. So 104 are uh, vaccinated. So that's a extremely high rate, I think, compared to most places. But um, there were challenges with that. That rate wasn't always high in the beginning. Um, and we needed to do something about that uh, um, just to try to keep people safe with and being supportive without threatening. I, I, I I just don't think that that's a healthy route to go. And I can understand how some other people did it. Um, that's not the culture we have here. We have always been one of support, not surveillance. Um, so we needed to take a different approach um, and getting you know, our whole agency vaccinated. That is a, a tremendous uh, vaccination rate. Uh, you know, when you look at, I'm hard pressed to think of doctors that I've watched on television or that I've talked to anywhere, doctors, who are not advocating a vaccine, but nurses in hospitals in Ohio, that's a pretty high unvaccinated rate. They've chosen not to do it. So it still is, uh, you know, there are, uh, you know, a lot of different schools have thought about it. So your your vaccination rate is pretty remarkable. Yeah, you know, and, and, and for us, it really turned into um, uh, uh, communicating and communicating with respect um, and, and truly looking at factual things and not in a challenging way, not in a defensive way, uh, but just in an informed way. It, it's a, uh, um, you know, a lot of people initially thought that the vaccine was rushed. Um, uh, but in fact, they've been working on, on coronavirus vaccines, not, not COVID-19, but coronavirus vaccines for a very long time. So a lot of that groundwork was already done. It wasn't rushed. And, and, um, and then, you know, some people thought that, uh, it, it was almost uh, pushed through too quickly that it wasn't tested thoroughly. And um, it has now been uh, the most tested vaccine ever, but uh, it's like 10,000 times uh, the number of people that would normally be uh, tested. And that, that's just huge, that's a huge number. And um, so I think at times people had questions about these things. They just uh, uh, didn't truly know the answers. Um, people thought that, you know, if you're gonna be infected, infected with the virus, uh, uh, through the vaccine, then you're, you can shed it on to others. Um, this isn't true because COVID doesn't have the virus in it. it, it it's, some vaccines do, so I can see why people thought that. I mean, that, that seems like a very ra rational, uh, linear uh, uh, line to follow, um, but this one doesn't. So, um, and so it's things like that, Dave, that we really try to communicate out of respect uh, um, and in support. 
uh, and assist uh, our, our workers. You know, I, I, will, I will say a lot of our information was great. I mean, we looked at it. The Human Service Chamber has put out a lot of information on it to like the 110, 120 members. Michael Corey's been great about that, keeping us all informed um, and, and trying to keep everybody safe. So uh, we all know how divisive this can be. We just have to approach it from a standpoint um, that's going to be helpful, that's going to be supportive, that's not going to be defensive, that's not going to be attacking, um, but it's going to be uh, grounded in respect. Talking with Dwayne Casara, CEO, Directions for Youth and Families. The CDC and Dr. Anthony Fauci and, and all those types have always said that vaccines are not 100% and they do have potentially very serious consequences for a very, very tiny percent of people who get a vaccine. And, and that's kind of been borne out with what's happening. And so I guess one way to look at it is there are some people who have a legitimate fear of that, just as there are people who are much more afraid of flying than driving, even though flying is so much more safe than driving. Yeah, you know, some people have said, you know, they'd heard that the vaccine is more dangerous than actually getting the disease. And, and that's just not true. The, the death rate for COVID is actually uh, 34 times higher um, than the rate of serious uh, vaccine reaction. Um, so that that's a huge number again. And it's it's really just trying to sift through all the information that's out there and, and, and present the facts of what they are. It's a cognitive approach to things. So cognitive is, is the exchange of facts. It's knowledge. Um, I think too often at times when people are trying to convince people, particularly when it breaks down like into family and friends, well, I know somebody who did and who got it and their father died. Or, I mean, I personally had a friend early on whose uh, daughter um, uh, was on a ventilator for, for 54 days, and, and this was early in uh, of the pandemic. I think it was in May uh, of the first year, and, and she ended up passing. And um, she had some other underlying issues, but she did. Uh, telling someone that story when they're against it, that's an emotional thing, and emotion, emotional stories aren't going to sell here. It's not going to help people uh, change their mind. Um, and then what happens is when they still reject what you're saying, you start taking it personal because it was a personal connection to an emotional story. Right. So then those discussions turn into debates or arguments or uh, um, attacking each other. And that's just never, uh, ever going to be uh, uh, not only functional, but uh, it's not going to move anything forward. And it can truly damage relationships. We've seen that. So I guess the approach needs to be somewhat, I guess, empathetic and but respectful more than anything, just to make sure that you're not trying to paint this person who doesn't have the same viewpoint as you as inferior somehow. Right. And that's the whole thing. It's like, okay, I understand that people think that the vaccine was dangerous. I understand they thought it was rushed. I understand um, that people thought that uh, it wasn't tested thoroughly. I, I mean, I can understand these things. You know, we've all heard these things. So it's a matter of uh, we've been sifting through all that stuff and really finding the true facts about that and giving it to people. And the other thing is when it comes to relationships, and since that's our agency deals so much with that, uh, let me just tell you a story about how someone dealt with this, and I thought it was beautiful. Um, uh, uh, there, there's a, a um, young lady I know who was talking to her father about this, and he was very much resistant to uh, not only this vaccine, but all, all vaccines. And um, she happened to be married to a, so his son-in-law is a medical doctor, an emergency room medical doctor. Uh, well, uh, the father tried to convince even the uh, emergency room medical doctor that um, 
this was unnecessary and this whole thing uh, uh, was really just made up. Um, so those discussions weren't going anywhere, and the father kept pushing the issue each time he saw them. And this young woman said one of the things that I thought was really beautiful um, that really, I think, salvaged, salvaged their relationship because of where it was headed, because of all the debates that were going on. And this is common when, when we get to these kind of topics, uh, at, particularly around this. We've all heard stories about this. Um, she told him, I can't talk to you about this anymore. And he said, why? I like talking about these things. I like debating these things. She said, I know. The problem is that it's changing the way I think about you. And I don't want that to happen. Wow. And I thought, what a loving, that is so loving that, that she didn't want that to happen. And it was very boundary setting as well at the same time. And, and um, that really caused the father to pause. And he said, fair enough. It, it hit him because he doesn't want her to change the way she thinks about him. Um, they have a, a, a good, strong, loving relationship. And he said, okay, we won't talk about this anymore. Um, I really thought that was such an impactful, so no debate, no, you're out of my life, no, you're not welcome in my home anymore, no, we can work towards things that are respectful um, and and, and still can preserve uh, the relationships that we have that are healthy. Yeah, that's interesting because uh, that takes so many different avenues uh, beyond, uh, you know, like a discussion about vaccines. It can be mask wearing or not. It could be gun control. It could be who the current president is versus who the last president was, all that kind of stuff tears families apart these days. Yeah, and I think we, yeah, and Dave, that's a great point. And, 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 and I think initially what humans always do at times, we want to dig our heels in it and, and stand firm. Like, like if you attack this issue, then you're attacking me. Um, there's nothing loving in that. There really isn't. And, um, and so I think we have to back up and, and take pause and think about how we're going to respond to some of these things. Um, and, and, and I would say first, do it out of respect. Um, do it out of honesty. And honesty doesn't say mean, hey, people don't like what I have to say, but I'm just being honest. Too bad. That's just that's not that's disrespectful. I mean, that's so you know you, you need to balance these things all together. Um, you have to have a sense of self-discipline that if you get triggered, that you're not then going to fly off the handle. Recognize these things. Work on it. Do something about that. Take the initiative to work on these things. But you know, be responsible. Be respectful. Be honest. Um, and really do it grounded in uh, um, you know a belief in in humanity or or in the love of the relationship you have with that person. It's interesting, too, because, uh, you know, once in a while you'll see a story on the news about somebody who is, I I just saw one the other day, it was a guy not in Ohio, but he's in intensive care with COVID. He was, you know, an active campaigner against getting the vaccine, who now is, while lying in bed, urging people to get the vaccine now. And that takes, despite this person literally being brought to their knees, that still takes a big person to be able to do that publicly. Yeah, it does. And and those are really like sad, sad situations. It's a, um, because that for some folks that then there's no turning back from that. And um, then, then everyone's experiencing great loss. And um, I, I think we all want to avoid that. Nobody wants that. You can be as mad as you want about the other people and point fingers and call names and damn them. Um, that's easy. I mean, honestly, that's the easy road. Uh, um, we got to quit looking and take.
taking the easiest route out for us. We have to take what we think is the human route, and um, that shouldn't want anybody suffering. Interesting topic. Uh, Dwayne Casares, he's the CEO of Directions for Youth and Families. Uh, Dwayne, if folks want more info about your agency, how do they find out? Uh, they can check us out on the web, dfyf.org, or you can call our intake department, 614-294-2661. All right. Thanks, Dwayne. All right, Dave. Stay safe out there, buddy. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan, heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM. That's 1460 ESPN Columbus. And Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.